Uh, excuse me, miss. Can I help you with something? Yes. Does this podcast come in my size? Oh, I'm going to have to check the back. It's Schmanners. Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello. Gosh, I thought that you had almost forgotten how we do this. I almost did. I got distracted <laughs> by the recording device. It's been so long. It's been, what, at least two weeks, a little more? We've had a lot going there, on. There has been a lot in our lives. And we, you know, we really appreciate everybody being so understanding um we had had a little bit of an early arrival we did it was very rude of her I would say. <laughs> she showed up unannounced um yes barbara lee mcroy uh who we were calling bb bb showed up uh a couple weeks early about three weeks early About three weeks early but she's doing great mama's doing great we're home now. You might hear BB during the recording. She's sitting in a bassinet next to me. And uh, we finally have the nursery almost done. Yes. And I would like to say thank you to everybody who has sent us stuff. Uh, we have just gotten a flood uh, uh, of nice things. Um, oh, and you know what I'll do? I I would... Instead of listing all of those in this podcast, how about I um, make a post on the Facebook group? I think that would be great. Um for those of you who have been asking, um, we do have a new uh, P.O. Box. It is P.O. Box 36384, Cincinnati, Ohio, 45236. Uh, but don't feel obligated to send anything. But in case you want to, that is the address. You can find it at uh under the contact uh, tab. I really like postcards. I like the postcards, too. Maybe we can do like a postcard collage for B.B., yeah, that'd be fun. Um, so that that baby might be the reason that this episode ends up being a little bit shorter. We'll probably end up having uh, closer to like 30 to 40 minute episodes for a while till we get back in the swing of things. Have a baby, man. It's real chaotic. Um, but yeah, this week we wanted to talk about retail etiquette because mm-hmm. we have uh, Black Friday coming up. Um, and you know what? I have extensive retail experience. I worked at Best Buy. <laughs> I worked at Sears. I worked at PetSmart. Did I work other places? I don't know. I can't remember. Uh, um, does restaurant count as retail? It doesn't really. But I mean, it was a coffee shop. So. I worked at a coffee shop. There was a lot of crossover. I dealt with customer. It was definitely a customer-facing I think that thing. I think that coffee shop is a little different because you have um, usually table service and counter service mm-hmm. at a coffee shop. So like people can pick up their own muffins and pay for them like you would at a, at a, at a store. But you also work the tables. Yes. So the long and the short of it is this is one in which I have a lot <laughs> to input. Um, but before we get into that, let's start like we normally do. Let's not change the rhythm too much. Why don't you tell me a little bit of history? Sure. All right. Well, so as long as people have been interacting with other people, there has been exchange of goods. Yes. Yes. Because you can't possibly be expected to provide everything for yourself in a communal environment. Um, I think that the only way that you could really do that is if you had prepared for some time. 
Well, that that was a, I think that was a big development in uh, in humanity, mm-hmm. where we went from everybody like hunting and gathering themselves to like saying, "Okay, you hunt, I'll gather." And you make things, and then we'll just all exchange them, so that way we can really focus up and specialize. Well, and even then, if you had some sort of family unit, you might divide the labor amongst the different family members, and then share amongst your family. So it's I, I feel like the human condition really just allows us to do this division of labor, share and trade. Yes. Um, so bartering is pretty much what we're talking about, um, and... Usually, animals have been the the longest known form of currency. Um, there is evidence to suggest as far as 9,000 BCE, mm-hmm. uh, people were trading animals such as camels, sheep, and cows. Well, this is... I, I um, Not to divert too much, but I do have big issues with currency in general. Like, I understand the concept of it, but when we talk about bartering, it just makes so much more sense to, like, trade goods and services rather than trading pieces of paper that we all agree is worth something. Like, anyways, not to get too far off the subject, but bartering makes so much more sense to me, just ideologically, than the idea of, like, currency. Well, I I have to ask you this question, then. Everyone who barters then must therefore produce something. Exactly. I mean, I listen, I get why that's not the system anymore. I'm not saying we should okay. go back to trading sheep. I'm saying that, uh, okay, I'm a little sleep deprived, so let me clarify. <laughs> the idea of this, I'll trade you two sheep for eight chickens is concrete. The idea of I will give you a hundred pieces of paper for this pair of jeans is much more abstract. You know what I mean? Like I, it the balance is weirder because the hundred pieces of paper only have as much value as we agree that they have versus like eight chickens that you can eat and get eggs from where there is inherent value to them. I I suppose in a very simplistic sense that that does make sense, um, but you then have to work out the supply and demand and what if you think that these chickens are not worth those two sheep and i mean listen it becomes a lot more complicated okay let's get back to retail etiquette and off of my weird uh thoughts about currency (laughs) so um back in 3000 bce currency is first introduced in mesopotamia um commonly known mesopotamia Uh, Uh, dad jokes these were commonly known as shekels, and they were actually a measurement of weight. Okay. So did, did they equal something? Was it like three shekels translates to something, or was it just they had agreed upon the value? Um, as far as I can tell, it's about three shekels translates to something. Okay. So um, the idea of this shekel is worth a pound of salt, for instance, or um, this shekel is worth a, a cup full of grain, those sorts of things. Gotcha. So it's, a, it's a, a measurement of weight. Gotcha. And I guess a cup isn't a weight, but you know what I mean. Yes. So we've got bartering and we've got currency, and these ideas spread like wildfire um, between 3000 BCE and and largely to modern day, they all sort of correspond to something precious 
uh, something of agreed value being traded for something else, whether uh, it's shells in the Americas or gold in South America or, you know, all those other different things, the exchange of goods and services for something deemed of of higher value Mm -hmm. exists. Um, And this pretty much culminates in the idea of a store. So instead of each person having one thing that they do that we, we talked about earlier, each person having, having one good or services, these goods and services become mashed into one central location. Gotcha. Um, in the United States, this is known as the general store. Oh, okay. Yes, I've, I've heard of this. <laughs> yes. General stores sell staple food items such as milk and bread and then various household goods like hardware and electrical supplies. And, and like I said, they, they kind of just bring everything a, a community might need into one specific place. They dominated rural America until uh, the coming of the automobile about 1910 um, because after you had a car, you could go further than you than you could before to get the carry goods more and carry more correct um to get the things that you wanted so you didn't have to just patronize one single shop in your village or neighborhood you could go around and get at other places it's always funny to me that the word patronize is used in two very different ways it always seems to me like when you talk about like yes i patronized best buy like you went to best buy and you're like hey oh oh are you okay do you need anything what can i do for you interestingly a lot of the items for sale at a general store at this time in america did not have listed prices they were bartered for um in the way that, you know, you would take a look at the goods and say, hmm, well, I'll give you 15 cents for this. And the proprietor of the store would take it or haggle a little more or, or do those other kind of things. Um, and in regards to the payment, a lot of these stores operated on credit mm-hmm. because their patronage were often farmers and so their income was seasonal. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. That makes sense. And I also imagine that at that point, with the community much smaller, much more intimate, that you probably knew your customers way better. So it was mm-hmm. a lot easier to extend credit when you knew you were going to see them, you know, three days later at church, or you were going to see them three days later at Christmas because they were married to your sister. Like, that kind of thing. Like, everybody was much more tight-knit, whereas now you go into, like, a Walmart, you don't know the people. They're not, like, right. personally connected to you. Well, I suppose it it depends on how often you uh, go to the Walmart. I guess that's true. Or maybe your best friend works there. I don't know. I guess that's true. I guess it depends on who's working at Walmart and how often <laughs> you go. <laughs> The store in general didn't really change much. The general store in general? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Until the arrival of department stores. Okay. I apologize for not going chronologically. I did speak about the United States in about 1910, but I'm going to hop across the pond to London in 1796. Okay. 
where the world's first department store is, it is argued, uh, called Harding Howell and Co.'s Grand Fashionable Magazine is opened um, at Grand Fashionable Magazine. Yes, love it. Is opened at eighty nine Paul Mall in St James, London. Um, it's a that's during the Georgian era, and it is divided into four departments. So uh, it offered furs and fans, um, haberdashery, jewelry, clocks, and millinery. Millinery hats. Hats. Yes, hats. <laughs> and hats. Uh, and this is one of the first stores, the department store, uh, is the first segment of stores that caters pretty much specifically to women. Before this, uh, men who, we, I spoke about uh, farmers bartering at the general store, usually men did the well, shopping. You know, what I, you know what I always say, men be shopping. Yep. That's that. Uh, isn't that true? Well, because the men were the head of the household as far as the farm went, and they knew what to expect from the crops, and they were able to barter, and you know all that kind of stuff. So, uh, they generally did the shopping in the general store. I keep saying general. That's okay. Listen, it's a good general word. <laughs> it encompasses a lot of stuff, generally speaking. I'm glad that now we've reached the point. Uh, finally, at least here in America. Where you can go shopping no matter where you fall in the gender spectrum. I, I like that. I hope that that continues to... I don't know where there needs to be improvement in that, but I'm sure there's still more room to grow, as there always is. And I hope it continues to improve. So the department store continued to be adapted um, for the next 150 years or so and was was really solidified in... The English culture by Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. Those two, they're always getting up to changing society. They they do a lot of it. They do. Oh, they have a lot of influence. Mm-hmm. My goodness, <laughs> are we the Queen Victoria and Prince Albert of our day? I like the things. So. No, <laughs> I think well, I, maybe the Prince Albert and Queen Victoria of podcasting. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right. Uh, 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 well, you know what? I don't think that that's a title we can we can get for ourselves. I think someone we'll must bestow it yeah. upon us. We'll let the people decide. So, <laughs> so let us know. <laughs> You're in rare form, Lisa. I'm real tired. <laughs> I'm very sleepy, and it's been a bit of a rough week. Okay, so at this point, I've talked about a general store. That has kind of all the goods that a community might need. Mm -hmm. Then I talked about a department store, which is largely non-perishable goods. Like I said, you know, furs and hats and jewelry and such. And now I'd like to take the other half of that and talk about the supermarket. Go for it. So the beginning of the supermarket really is kind of um, a happy accident. Okay. Where uh, you would get one or two vendors who would kind of come together and sell their goods in close proximity. Like a farmer's market. Like a farmer's market, exactly. So you would have one kind of established store like the 
the general store that had dry goods and and non-perishable food items, canned items and things like that. And then kind of around that area, you would get different uh, grocers and butchers and, and other things like that, even though they weren't necessarily affiliated with the dry goods section. But I mean, if you're going to be in a place, be in the place where people are buying stuff already. I mean, it just makes sense to put like that when someone goes shopping, you want to be next to where they're already doing their shopping. So they just stop into your place next. Exactly. One notable self-service grocery store um, of this area was the Piggly Wiggly. <gasps> the Piggly Wiggly! Established in Memphis in 1916. Um, the Piggly Wiggly was established in 1916? Yeah, that my, That is what my research indicates. My goodness. I had no idea that Piggly Wiggly had such a storied and ancient past. Yes. Plus, I just like saying Piggly Wiggly as much <laughs> as I can. And this is closer to representing what we have today in a supermarket, where it was uh, a series of counters that you would that were all associated with the same company. Gotcha. So, I mean, it's kind of like when you go into a supermarket now, and you can walk up to like. The butcher counter in the supermarket. You can walk up to like the bakery counter in the supermarket. It was just kind of like all of these different counters, but in the same building. Right. Gotcha. That it more closely resembled that than anything else. This continues throughout the 20s, 30s, and 40s to continue the the idea of consolidating all of these different vendors into a single building, resembling more and more what it is that, that we find in a supermarket. But by the 1950s, that was basically what we have today. Gotcha. Um, and instead of being located just in city centers, these supermarkets were popping up in more suburban areas as well. And this is actually called the 50s and 60s, called the golden age of the supermarket, where there were lots of beautiful, bright, clean looking stores popping up all over the United States. And, you know, they would have newspaper ads and advertised prices and, you know, all of those kind of things that, that we associate with grocery stores today. Interestingly, um, 1920, to back up just a second, is the first instance that uh, most people credit to credit cards or change cards, as they were called. Um, and that was more of a convenience for customers that would normally have to travel to the bank to withdraw cash. You would just put in this, you would uh, assert your card, and that would be kind of like a tab that you created with the okay, store. Okay, like going back to where we talked about the general store and right. opening a line of credit. Okay. Uh, next, in the 60s, we have the starting of big box retail stores, things like Walmart, followed by Kmart and Target, um, begin to open their doors then. And these, uh, these are just kind of like a supersized version of our general stores. You know, they have lots of inventory, they have lots of different, um, products. So these big box stores really start to take over the market in the 60s and 70s. And then today, we do a lot of our shopping online. You don't even have to go into a store. You do not have to look at a single other person to do your shopping. How crazy is that? 
It's very cool. I use it constantly. I know you do. Our FedEx man, I hope that it's the same one every time and we can give him a big uh, Christmas present. That would be nice. Maybe I'll order it for him from Amazon. Oh, okay. Um, He'll really appreciate (laughs) delivering that. So we have uh, some of your questions that we will give answers to and give you some general retail advice. But first, here's a word from some other Max Fun shows. Hi, everybody. I'm Justin McElroy. And I'm Dr. Sydney McElroy. Every week, we release a medical history podcast called Sawbones. We go over the history of the dumbest, grossest, weirdest stuff humans have been doing to each other since the dawn of mankind. But it's a funny show. But it's also so disgusting and stomach-turning, you won't believe it. But it's also, like, <laughs> funny. It's funny. It is the wildest, grossest, nastiest stuff you can imagine. It's a real hoot. It's called Sawbones, and we release it every week on iTunes, wherever podcasts are sold, and right here on MaximumFun.org. The first ever Chicago Podcast Festival is just around the corner. Don't miss your shot to catch MaxFun's own Bullseye, Lady to Lady, and Minority Corner performing live for your entertainment. Split Single was just added to the Bullseye lineup in addition to the previously announced and amazing Dwayne Kennedy and Andre Royo. Bullseye and Lady to Lady are November 17th and Minority Corner is November 18th. Visit MaximumFun.org and peep the live shows column on the right side to grab your tickets right now before time runs out. Okay, we're back. We're back. We've done it. We've made our way back from the break. Teresa, Mm -hmm. should we start with some of my general retail tips from my past or start with questions? Sure. And what I would like to... Well, that was a question. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on now. Uh, was- the first one. General retail tips and and I would like to uh, counter all of your tips. Well, maybe supplement. Gotcha. With some Victorian etiquette for shopping. Okay. Well, the big umbrella tip that I will give is, and this is an old adage, but it really holds true in retail, you catch more flies with honey. Every time, I couldn't tell you, I always helped everyone, but you go a little bit above and beyond, and you're willing to work a little bit harder for the people who ask nicely. Because the thing is, they can only do so much. I think the most frustration I saw from people in a store was that that we would have, you know, a hundred customers and six people working the floor. That's just how it works out sometimes, especially during the holidays. They just can't employ enough people for a one-to-one ratio. So you might have to wait a little bit. So schedule that, especially during the holidays. If you're going to go in shopping, don't schedule a window of like 10 minutes if you aren't ready to run in, grab the thing, and run out. If you need help picking the thing, schedule yourself some extra time. I definitely agree with that. Um, it's not a Victorian idea, but I always suggest that you should go shopping on a full stomach because you are a lot less likely to be hangry (laughs) with your circumstances if you have food on your belly. Uh, There's also this thing that irate and angry customers tend to do um, that I see a lot more when I am in the customer's shoes rather than in the employee's shoes, but they grumble, They, they talk, quote, under their breath, end quote, Mm -hmm. but loud enough, they basically are trying to complain without complaining directly to anyone. 
and people can hear you. The employee can hear you. The employee that's do it, that's maybe helping another customer. That's usually when I see it. An employee helping another customer or people waiting in line. They out loud say stuff like, "This is unbelievable. This thing, I can't believe this thing forever." Why? Why are you making that person feel bad? Do you want them to? ditch the customer they're working with to jump over and help you that i would well i mean yes that is what you want but you that wouldn't is want that, what what you wouldn't want that if you were that, that customer one. though well, if you were the one being held of course of course but uh there comes there is a certain type of shopping circumstance that makes people feel like the thing that they are doing is more important than the things that other people are doing. That is a great point. So here's what I suggest. Erase from your shopping vocabulary the phrase, I just need, or I just want, or I just, because everybody just wants to do something. Mm -hmm. I've seen people cut to the front of lines to say, I just need to return this shirt. Okay, Lots of people need to return shirts or buy shirts or I just need help finding a thing. Okay, well, the person I'm working with just needed help finding a thing. So at the end of the day, everybody's time is equally important. And that includes the person working there. Mm -hmm. So be conscientious and just remember that no matter what your schedule is, you don't know what everyone else's schedule is too. So just try to keep in mind everybody's there for the same goal and you have to respect the people that get there first. So far, this corroborates with my Victorian shopping etiquette. Uh, one suggestion that they offer is uh, you should never ask or expect a clerk waiting upon a customer to leave that person and attend to you. Wait patiently for your turn. Um, I also think that it, it, to make things easier on yourself, the more information you have that you can provide the salesperson with, the smoother and better the pro I once had a woman come in when I was working at Best Buy and told me she was looking for a DVD for her son. And I asked her the title and she said she didn't know. And I said, okay, well, who's in it? What, what's the movie about? And she said, I don't know. And I said, okay, well, who directed it? I don't know. Okay, well, is it action? Is it comedy? I don't know. I said, okay, what do you know? And she said, it has a purple cover. And that mm. was all the information. And you know what? I found that DVD for that woman. It took me 45 minutes because she asked very nicely. And she very clearly was a little bit lost, but wanted to get a present for her son. And I helped her find it because I'm amazing. It's very sweet of you, dear. But that was because it was a slow day. And I didn't. it was like Tuesday at like 12.45 p.m. And I didn't have anything else to do. But the more information you have at your disposal and know what you want, the better off you'll be. Agreed. That was the other, I also remember working at Best Buy, people would call in and they would ask what TVs we had. And I always said, a lot. What kind of TV are you looking for? And they'd say, well, what kinds do you have? <laughs> and they would expect me to sit there and list off every TV that we sold. And that, like, that in turn is why you can never find people on the sales floor to help you because they're answering phone calls like that. Mm -hmm. uh, the Victorian etiquette page says, speak to the clerks and employees of the store with courtesy and kindness. Do not order them to show you anything. Request them to do so in a polite manner. And in leaving the counter, say pleasantly, good morning or good day. Um, the other thing I'll say along those lines is, Ask about the store's return policy before you buy a thing. Mm -hmm. We had a, a guy at Best Buy come in, tried to return an iPod that was like 
this was mm, 2008, I want to say, and it was like a first generation iPod that was scratched and dinged all the heck and not in a box. He didn't have a receipt, anything, and he wanted to return it. It had obviously been well used. Yes, for many years. And we told him no, and he got angry to the point where he got up in the face of uh, a, a very pregnant manager that was working there at the time, and he needed to be escorted from the store. Mm. Um, so that already is a bad thing. Goodness. Also, and I can just say this, uh, this is not really uh, an etiquette thing. Don't shoplift. I worked in security <laughs> at Best Buy, and I caught many people. It is dumb. It's not worth it. And it's a thing that could get you. There are very, very serious ramifications to it. It's not a fun pranky little thing that you're just going to get a slap on the wrist. I sent people to jail for shoplifting expensive items from Best Buy. So well, don't thank do you it. very much for that PSA, Travis. I'm McElroy. just saying it's not a fun thing that like you and your friends do on dares. It is a very serious crime that you should not do. All right. But yes, know the store's return policy before you buy a big ticket item, especially if you're unsure as to if it's the thing you need or if it's the thing that the person you're getting it for wants. Um, because I, there are a lot of people who are very upset that the um, return policy did not uh, accommodate their wishes and desires. But unfortunately, that person standing behind the counter didn't make the return policy and they don't make the decisions. Uh, but once again, there is often a lot of help they can give you if you ask nicely. If you explain the situation calmly, there's usually some sort of solution or some kind of experience they have where they can at least offer you suggestions on things to help improve uh, the return experience, but if you come in yelling at them and accusing them of you know being frauds and cheats and stuff, they're way less likely to go out of their way to help you. It's true. Let's do some questions. All right, great. Um, let's see. This one comes from Jess. Um, when should I put stuff back where I found it if I don't want it anymore? Clothes versus food versus books, etc. Um. I think that it really depends on how the store has set that up. Um, if you have tried something on that doesn't fit, there's usually a rack to put the items that you don't want. Um, and should you try and put those back yourself, you may put them on the wrong rack or, or things like that. Uh, maybe it was on sale and it goes in a specific place. Um, so you really need to pay attention to what it is the store has set up for you for items that you no longer want. Um, at a lot of grocery stores, they have a special shelf at the checkout uh, for things that you've decided at the very end that you no longer need, or um, you can at least give it to the cashier and they can put it underneath the table or, or things like that. I definitely do not advocate uh, if you find something that you wish to exchange while in aisles, putting the old thing where the new thing was. Yes. Uh, not only is that, you know, a little, it's a little lazy. Uh, you could just keep it in your cart and return it to someone who knows where it goes. Um, it's, it's kind of confusing for not other customers. That, it, every time you do that, it means, uh, uh, hear me out, it means long-term, you are costing yourself more money in the future. Because there's this thing in retail um, called loss prevention, uh, or at least that's what it was called at Best Buy, but profit and loss and all these things. So basically, when 
they have stock inventory counts of things of how many of X they're supposed to have. And they do those counts. And if they can't find the like 10 pairs of jeans they're supposed to have, and they only can find eight, they have to count out those two. Mm-hmm. And eventually their loss margin goes up every time that they have to count out a thing because it's either been stolen or been lost. And that means that down the line, eventually those products get more and more expensive to compensate. I mean, over time and across the wide spectrum of all the stores gets more expensive slowly to compensate for that loss. So putting things back in the wrong place or burying them under something else can in the long run cost you more money as a shopper. Um, And I will also say um, as far as clothing goes, especially if it's a folded item, just give it back to the people. They're going to go back through and refold it anyways because chances are you didn't do it to the store specifications. Mm-hmm. And so you're better off just taking it to the counter and saying, okay, well, I'll take these three and I don't want these four. And they'll put them back. Yes. So it, it it's way easier. I know it feels like the nice thing to do is to refold it and put it back yourself, but you're actually just making more work for them in the long run. Um, this question is from Karen. Is it rude to say I'm just looking if you don't feel like talking to a retail employee? Um, I think that there are there are better ways to say that you you don't need assistance. Um, I'm just looking really implies more of a a browsing attitude, and then they may feel lied to if they see you pick stuff up and you know hold on to it or or things like that. And that, uh, well, that's a little harsh, harsh, maybe not lied to, but I think that there are better ways to say that you don't require assistance. So if someone says, can I help you? You can say, uh, not right now, but I'll let you know if I need anything. Especially since I'm just looking implies I'm not going to need any help. And then when you do need help from that employee, they may be hard to find. Whereas if you say, uh, let me look for one second and I'll let you know as soon as I find what I need. Okay, great. Then they know to come back and check on you and to check back in to see if you need anything then. And also, as a retail employee, if you don't want help, there is nothing wrong. There is nothing rude about saying, no, I'm good. Because, like, there's probably more than one of you in the store. So the idea of, like, okay, great. You're cool. Cool. I've checked in with you. You're good. I'm going to move on to the next person. Exactly. Just know that if you do need help, you should ask for it. Because I know that I personally have a really bad knee-jerk reaction of going, no, I'm fine. And then like 30 seconds later, realizing I have no idea what I'm looking for and I totally <laughs> needed help. But I just sent the person who could help me away because my social anxiety let me. No, I'm fine. I totally know what I need. What do I need? Oh, no. Yeah. So if you need help, ask for it. And if you don't need help, be honest and say no thank you. Um, to the same kind of degree or in the same realm here's a question from sarah who asks what's a concise polite way to end a pushy sales pitch should i let them do their spiel or find a place to interrupt i think that if you are completely uninterested in what the person has said or or continues to say is perfectly fine to say i understand but no thank you I am not interested. Thank you very much. Yes. Um, and once again, I think that this goes back to some stuff we've talked about before, which is like being direct, because I know a lot of the time the confusion here is somebody going, oh, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure, which makes it sound like you want you need more convincing or you exactly. need more information, where if you say, thank you very much, but I am not interested. Yes. Clear to the point. 
And if you are a retail employee on the other side, if someone says to you, no, thank you, I'm not interested, stop selling. <laughs> I those, Like reward program things is where I always get frustrated by this, where I say, no, thank you, I'm not interested. And they go, are you sure? Because it does that. I just said I'm not interested. I well, uh, I think that, that the reward programs and opening up credit cards and store cards and things like that is is a little different. There's a lot of push on those employees definitely. to get those numbers. Um, this question is from Vince. When standing in line, if you have a basket full of stuff and someone comes up behind you with only a handful of items, do you let them cut in front of you? I think it's a courtesy matter, but not a necessary thing to do. I agree. Um if you feel so inclined to allow the person behind you in front of you because they only have a few items, I'm sure that they'll appreciate it. You are, But you are in no means obligated to do so. You both arrived in line at the time that you arrived. Um, and so if, you know, there may be circumstances in your life that don't allow you to let people cut in front of you. And that's fine. Uh, if you want to, go for it. This question um, is from Ross. What's the current faux pas status on headphones slash earbuds at checkout? I think that it really depends on, uh, one, how much you're buying. <laughs> and two, um, the, the general atmosphere of the store. Um, because if you... I, I believe that it is perfectly acceptable to keep your earbuds in, but your music or phone or whatever turned off. Yes. If you have one or two items, it's going to be a very quick transaction. Uh, you may not even need to speak much with the cashier, and that's fine. But if you have a large order, you really should take everything off, be present for the interaction, uh, because you're going to be there a while. The one thing I would caution you, I, I don't think you're wrong, but the one thing I would caution you is even if you turn your music off, which you should do, because at the end of the day, the reason it's a faux pas is there's always questions. There's always something that they need to cue you on or ask you, and you might miss it. So you should be paying attention during the interaction. But if you leave your headphones on, you might send the signal. On the as in on your person? On your person. Okay. You you should just be aware of the signal, the the picture you're sending to the retail employee. It's not going to appear kind. You're mm -hmm. going to seem rude because what you're saying is, I couldn't be bothered. I recommend if you don't want to take your headphones, although it's pop one out of your ear, pop one ear out. So it's very clearly like, I'm now paying, I'm making eye contact and paying attention to you. I think that's a good compromise. Um, and if all else fails and it's available, just do self-checkout. I get it. I don't like small talk at, at checkout. I can't. It makes me very uncomfortable because, like, I know you don't care, and I don't care enough to tell you. I get that. So, like, I always do self-checkout if the option is there. Um, I do not enjoy self-checkout because I, I feel like at that point, I am responsible for the swiftness of my transaction, and I don't like having that kind of pressure put on me by the people behind me. So I would much rather have an employee have that pressure. <laughs> That's what they're getting paid to do. Uh, so for <laughs> me, it's hubris because from working in retail for so long, I know I can check myself out faster than most like checkout people. Oh, I, I certainly um, can't. This question is from Gina and uh, it ties into this. Is there a limit to how many items you can have in your cart if you use this self-checkout? I don't think there's like... 
a concrete across the board rule. Unless it's posted, you can use it. You can put as many as you want, I but, think. But there, I would say, I think, trust your gut. Like, if you have full to the brim shopping cart, like, with a bunch of, like, you know, produce and stuff that you're going to have to, like, enter numbers on and wet. I, I think that... I'm not saying it's convenient. <clears throat> yeah. I'm just saying that there doesn't seem to be any kind of rule against it. Then you are perfectly allowed to do it. I don't think that um, that you, you really should. I think that you... Uh, the idea of a self-checkout is to expedite the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're if your order is so large that it's going to take a long time anyway, I, I don't think that you should go in it, but I don't, I don't. There's ag- no rule against right. it as far as like restrictions of, of the, the, you know, supermarket. Or yeah. The unless it's market. posted, but like, I, I agree with you. Like it's going to slow things, especially if there's like a big line of people behind you and they all have five items and you have 55 items. Mm-hmm. Might be an issue. Trust your gut. Read the room. Yeah. Read the room. One last question from Chris Lane. After you clock out, what is the polite way to tell a customer you're off the clock and unable to help? Um, I think that you need to point them in in the direction of someone who can. So when you are approached and you are, you know, you're probably leaving or you're, you're no longer working, you say, I'm very sorry. I am no longer on, on duty, but here, Roberto can help you over there. Please go see him. And so you need to direct them to someone else who can help you. I would also say that when you clock out, you either need to leave or like if you're wearing a work shirt or a name tag or something, change. Because if you clock out and then you're just on the floor browsing in the store and you're still wearing your uniform. Yeah, that's kind of on you. Yeah, like you're going to get stopped. There's no clear sign at that point that you've clocked out. So if you're planning to do some shopping, bring a change of shirt. Yeah, how's anybody supposed to know that you are no longer on the clock? Yeah, and especially if it's like a simple question. Like if it's just like, which way to the washer dryers? Over there, and then get out. But that's the thing is like... Do it long enough and you get really good at like clocking out and just beelining straight for the door. Uh, Go. And you're out. There's just a Travis shaped hole in the wall, you know? Uh, So I think that's going to do it for us. I would like to leave. Oh, okay. With with a quote from my, my dear patron, Emily Post. In her 1922 book, Etiquette, she wrote, Is the customer always right? It would not seem likely. Unfailing patience and good temper are qualities exacted of every salesperson, whereas there is nothing to retain the ill humor or unreasonableness of a customer except her own good breeding. Yep. And just so you know, I changed it. She wrote saleswoman, but I changed it to salesperson because nice. I think that it applies to everyone. Because it's 2016. Because 2016. Um, speaking of, uh, before we go, I'm not going to dip into politics, I promise. But it's been a rough week, um, and I started a bit of a fundraiser thing um, because there are a lot of people who uh, are very scared right now, and I think it transcends politics. I think that there's a lot of just turmoil going on. And 2016 has been kind of a dump year for a lot of people. Um, And so I I recorded this really short, like, eight-minute thing on Wednesday uh, that I called the Fireside Chat with Travis, 
And it ended with me saying, I am holding your hand. And a lot of people have really ran with that. And so inspired by that, I uh, have made a store uh, selling a bunch of buttons designed by some really amazing artists from all over Twitter. And I'm still putting up more and more and more designs. But the profit uh, from all of the button sales goes to the ACLU. And uh, the buttons are also just a good way to kind of broadcast out the message that you're there for people who need it. Um, so if you want to check them out, you can go to bit.ly forward slash I am holding your hand. Um, and there's a lot of really, really cool button designs on there. I think you'll like it. I would like to add my own little thing and say uh, in, in the words of Bill and Ted, be excellent to each other, you guys. Uh, so thank you uh, for your patience as we got the episodes up. I know that this one was a little bit late and we missed two weeks. We'll try to get back on schedule, but n- new baby, you guys. There's a lot going on. Um, check out all the other amazing shows on MaximumFun.org. Um, I also want to pitch, it's not on MaximumFun.org, but Rose Buddies with Griffin and uh, oh, man. Uh, Griffin it's and a- Rachel. It's one of my favorite shows. I never miss an episode. A breath of fresh air. I listened to it a lot while we were like dealing with new baby stuff and we play it at you know, 4 o'clock in the morning when we're feeding the baby. Um, so go check that out. Rose Buddies, uh, they're about to wrap up um, the Bachelorette Canada. With Jasmine. With Jasmine, who's amazing. But start back at the beginning, um, or just start back at the beginning of the Bachelorette Canada series. They're, it's such a great show, you guys. Rose Buddies, check it out. Um, if you want to join the Schmanners group on Facebook, you can. Um, and it's a great place to ask questions when we post what the next topic's going to be, or suggest topics. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, at SchmannersCast, S-H-M-A-N-N-E-R-S. Um, go to McElroyShows.com and check out all the other McElroy offerings. Um, there's some YouTube stuff on there, but just a whole mess of podcasts. Um, let's see. What else, Teresa? Well, as always, I'd like to thank uh, Brent Brentlefloss Black for our theme song and Kayla M. Wassel for our uh, banner art. And of course, thank you to Emily Post, our patron saint. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think that's going to do it for us. Join us again next time. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.